0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: This week's episode of Screen Talk is sponsored by Tribeca Shortlist, the streaming movie service that offers a curated collection of the best-rated and most-loved Hollywood and indie films. Created by Lionsgate and the team behind the Tribeca Film Festival, Tribeca Shortlist includes more than 150 titles updated monthly, picked by people who love movies, not an algorithm. Get exclusive video recommendations from actors, directors, and insiders like Tom Hiddleston, Lily Taylor, Dev Patel, Taika Waititi, Jeff Bridges, Alec Baldwin, and Rebecca Miller. Tribeca Shortlist is offering a special 30-day free trial for Screen Talk listeners with just $4.99 per month after your free trial. No commitment. Cancel any time. Go to TribecaShortlist.com screentalk Screen Talk. That's TribecaShortlist.com slash Screen Talk. When you sign up, be sure to check out Tribeca Shortlist exclusive 24 by 36, a movie about movie posters, a new documentary that explores the birth, death, and resurrection of movie poster art. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Erica, I'm the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson. And Anne, we finally get to talk about Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's World War II epic. Every Christopher Nolan movie is shrouded in secrecy and anticipation, but this one was particularly interesting because I think a lot of people, when they first saw like the teaser clip, they were wondering, you know, what's the sci-fi component, or what's the what sort of tricks does he have up his sleeve this time? But really, what this is... Is a very immersive uh, experience of air, land, and sea, uh, replicating what this battle on this French shore was like when all these four hundred thousand Allied troops were stranded there. And what's kind of remarkable about it is that it's basically it's, it's Christopher Nolan's shortest film and his cleanest film because it's just pure texture in a way. It's just it's less about like. You know the war movie tropes or something like that, and and really his strengths as a filmmaker, which are moments and you know the technology of filmmaking that draws you into.
0: Yeah, a place. no, I agree with you. I couldn't agree more. I think I think what's really exciting is the way he uses point of view to to get close to the characters. You know what? You know with these big sixty-five millimeter, you know, or IMAX cameras. You know, even going into the cot pick with with Tom Hardy, um, you know, who, who's covered with a mask yet again, but Almost is so expressive. He's still lovely. I, I, I mean, I found his, his, his whole arc, which takes place in one hour, and one of the other time he plays with time again. That is one thing that's that's true of of many of his films. But instead of having it be this sort of overwrought, twisty, over-expositional, you know, dialogue-heavy, kind of, you know, crazy um VFX ridden thing, it is it is so straightforward in its way, but deceptively so. And yeah, and yeah. I love I love that that one week uh, on the boat, you know, one hour in the plane, you know. uh, He's playing around with different time frames.
1: Though that's the one thing that's actually sophisticated about the narrative here. I mean, it takes less than 30 seconds to describe the plot of the movie, as it were. But if you were to extract the structure of this thing, which I'm sure some intense Reddit forum is going to do at some point to kind of line up when different things take place... I mean, point of view is a fascinating thing in this movie, right? Because the stories do overlap. It's one specific event in which different key moments play a part in the way that the narrative progresses. But, you know, the people on the beach are seeing it in a different way than the people who are just experiencing one dramatic uh, moment in the air over the course of an hour, so you know what's kind of fascinating about that is it almost is science fiction because you're time traveling between these different places and it's really cool. Different ways. You're
0: absolutely right, and 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 the IMAX in the air. I mean, obviously he got started with some of that stuff with that aerial sequence uh, in that in, in, in Interstellar, but but there's so much incredible. Uh, vistas, you know, on such a grand scale, and this is something to see in IMAX, there's no and the the sound is so important, and And there's there's
1: almost no silence in the movie, like it's, the sound the the soundtrack is Hans Zimmer ringing. at his yeah.
0: most, you know, but it's good. It's, it's good. It's not Han annoying,
1: Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. It's important no. to point it out. It's not like the bruh, like kind of a thing.
0: There's a little it's bit a, of that. Well, actually. but for the most he's part, he's playing it's around sort with of, a ticking clock and all. Yeah, sorts you of could things. break it down. Yeah. But I,
1: to me, it felt kind of like the music was sort of reminding you that, that you're enveloped in all this activity. You know, there's never any kind of stationary moment where somebody can just, you know deliver a monologue about the meaning of war. I mean, that's all left to a Winston Churchill speech at the very end. But outside of that, you know, it's it's really just about being, like, just kind of swept up in this experience. And, and uh, then you
0: have these interludes with Kenneth Branagh as the commander who is trying to get 400,000 troops off of this beach where they are penned in by German army and they're being hammered by the Luftwaffe and everything and they're trying to get off. There's this mole which is this thing that they erected out into the water and it's a very, very shallow beach, so the boats can only get up to a certain point and that's why they have this thing happen with the local British, you know, yachtsmen, you know, coming in to rescue, uh, you know, one at a time, these, these soldiers. It's so moving and so upsetting because the, the, the soldiers that you follow, they keep trying to get off. They keep getting on a boat and then it sinks. You know, and there's torpedoes, and then there's you know people shooting at them. I mean, it's just constant uh, survival that they have to try to get 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 away alive.
1: It's interesting you say it's so moving. I wouldn't. I mean, it's obviously Nolan is a very cerebral filmmaker, and it's hard to get a sense of emotion out of his movies. And when he tries, that it doesn't quite work. The climax but, but no, is moving. All, this is what yeah. I was to say. there are some moments in which he gets there. I would say, closer than ever before. (laughs) They totally work on their own terms. I mean, there's just some really sharp, Images, but it, I would say it's, it's maybe it's,
0: that his Britishness comes through in this. Well, one it's case. all British actors, it, he it's said, all he British said, actors, and it's all Americans it's a thing that's close to his heart. His father was in you know the battle, and 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 you know, somebody his grandfather, some, yes. grandfather got killed or whatever. It's very moving, and 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 I think I think he it's close to his heart, That's what I'll well, say.
1: Yeah, I would say it's very involving. I mean, it's because you do have very clearly defined story points. You're invested in the stakes of survival in different kinds of ways and trying to figure out along with this huge amorphous crowd of people, you know, what exactly is supposed to be happening here. And it's interesting, you know, I spoke to Nolan this week and he was jet lagged because he had just gotten back from France. And in France they actually showed the movie at Dunkirk, where they also shot the movie. And the French don't see Dunkirk. Dunkirk as uh, a moment of pride, because this was a lost battle, right? This was very relatively early in the war, but for British people growing up, Dunkirk was a point of pride because it sort of stimulated more activity on, on the part of the Allied forces that led them to greater well, victories. Well, they
0: needed to get those troops off the beach. Right. If they lost all those troops, they wouldn't have them right. to fight with.
1: Right, the survival itself was the victory. That's not right, necessarily because they could the continue battle. the war. I mean,
0: right. so obviously the French were occupied and the British were not.
1: Right, but I think it's an interesting counterpoint in some ways to saving Private Ryan, which has this really brutal opening sequence and then a very prolonged kind of narrative of, you know... Battle,
0: so battle, battle, battle. Yeah,
1: one battle after another and then saving people and so forth. The differences are, are really key because Saving Private Ryan is this complete story of, of World War II in a little box in a way because it ends with this sense of the war itself ending and this closure and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Dunkirk is more about, like, sort of crystallizing the meaning of war... And how it plays out for people in real time, and the reverberations of it. There's this like mystical dimension to it, where it's like, as you're experiencing it, it feels like it can't possibly be real. You know, there, all these young men just seem so baffled by what's happening around them, as understandably they should be. And the images of these people just cowering together and looking up at the sky as they might get bombed, or huddled together in the bottom of a boat that might get sunk by unseen forces outside, or flying through the air and being tailed by some unseen Nazi war, you know, pilot. I mean, like, these kinds of things are really fascinating in microcosm. And the movie is basically all about microcosms blown up with the IMAX technology so it actually has the kind of texture of a blockbuster. And that's the amazing thing is that no one is at that point in his career where he can pull that off. But
0: well, I, I, I think this is the best thing he's he's ever done, and I was a big fan of uh, Inception and of The Dark Knight, of course, um, and and the you know Memento, but uh, Interstellar less so, and I'm glad that he's found a way to to achieve uh, a certain kind of immediacy and intimacy and uh, immersiveness, which is the secret. And of course, he is fighting uh, the battle for big screen dominance and survival, uh, and you uh, brought him out on the subject of Netflix. Uh, he is not a fan.
1: Well, this this should be obvious to anyone. I was sort of surprised that it wasn't already out there later. That- you know, pieces were all there when he was at CinemaCon earlier this year, and Warner Brothers. Sue Kroll said something about how they want, you know, something very obvious in corporate about pushing out content to their users on every device they wanted, or something like that. And Nolan came out and said, "The only thing I care about is that you see my movie in a theater." But specifically, and that
0: was playing to the choir because he of got course, cheers of course, to the it, to the theater the exhibitors.
1: Yeah, but specifically asked about Netflix. I mean he has nothing to lose, right? No interest in, in making movies with them. But he also shot down, you know, the argument that, well, you know, with something like Oakjaw, for example, or Noah Baumbeck's movie, uh, The Meyerowitz Stories, isn't Netflix, you know, providing, you know, sufficient budgets that studios wouldn't necessarily allow to get these kinds of movies made. And he just said, you know, basically that that would be more interesting if they didn't seem to be using that, as a means of destroying the theatrical experience. I mean, it was he sees a very them, harsh condemnation. Exactly.
0: He sees them... Now, if you talk to Ted Sarandos, he doesn't, you know, he says that the theater owners can go with God, but he obviously has no intention of playing the game that Nolan would want him to play. Nolan is saying, go the Amazon route and play your movies in theaters, and I He's saying, I if you have something
1: good, then you should yeah. give it the theatrical profile. Yeah. But I also, I, I saw a lot of really fascinating reactions to what he said here because some people felt like the the fundamental problem with what he was saying is that while in theory it sounded great and important and valuable for this particular art form and the way it's best presented, it also was coming from a place of privilege. You know, this guy who makes these big blockbusters and can kind of get the studios to bend to his will and make them release things in 70mm and IMAX or whatever, but a lot of people don't have that kind of, uh, you know, resource, and so for him... He's his, being
0: very old-fashioned in yeah, his own way, I, mean, I think he's also being naive. I think he doesn't understand what's going on, and, and, well, and, n- and Memento, the theaters can fight for viewers with big scale. That That's, that's of course, what they're doing. That's the point. If Nolan
1: was making the rounds at Slamdance with his first film following, like, now, and he was pitching Memento, that could totally have been, like, a Netflix movie because of the genre hook and all that kind of stuff, and it makes you wonder, it's like, would he have passed on it now as a young filmmaker? I mean, I feel like there's there's definitely a generational... No
0: question. And he's also people... I've been looking at the feedback on Twitter as well. The point is being made that he's, he's, he's coming from a place of privilege in the sense that he's one of the biggest filmmakers in Hollywood working at Warner Brothers and with all of their resources behind him.
1: But, I mean, it's interesting, too, because if this is a valuable argument to be made, then basically he should figure out what the next step is. And maybe my missing follow-up question is, what would you say to a filmmaker who simply doesn't have studios waiting for them to pitch new ideas and you know doesn't necessarily have the luxury to say no if somebody's giving them money? Do you take that Netflix opportunity or do you fight for some other theatrical goal? Because right now, you 're more likely to find opportunities in the digital space. you just are I mean that 's all across the board. You have these niche services like Shutter, which produces horror films now. you know like there's just a lot of interesting ways in which those platforms are doing things that you could still get a theatrical release for and maybe do something kind of cool with. But it's not the essence of the movie. I mean, I feel well, like there is a happy medium somewhere in here.
0: Yeah. Well, the the main point though is that if you if you are going to try to see a Netflix movie in a theater, if you don't live in New York and LA and it, or a few a handful of the major cities, you're not going to see it in the theater. It's just not going to happen.
1: Well, I also wonder about Dunkirk. Like, how many people are actually going to make the effort to see Dunkirk on IMAX? Right. Not a lot of people live near real IMAX screens. In New York, we only have one in the city a real IMAX screen on 68th street there's a quote unquote fake IMAX on 34th street it's a big screen but it's not actually IMAX parameters right and there was somebody on on Twitter who was like I live in this one part of Poland how, how am I supposed to see this thing and i looked no, it up No, there's some
0: major american cities that don't have IMAX yeah, but you know what I, was, I looked it
1: up and i was like well how about this one i found one and the guy said oh it's you know 200 kilometers away or whatever so it it makes you wonder it's like if this is an event are people going to get in their cars and drive to the (laughs) IMAX theater like a road trip kind of thing? I mean, it just doesn't, that's not a realistic assumption. I mean, probably some tiny, tiny fraction of the cinephile community might do something like that. But for the most part, I mean, it's just not a privilege most people are going to be able to cash in on. So, you know, the other point that Nolan has made is not just, that he he makes these movies for theatrical experiences, but that he shoots them on film. So one of the the key points there is that because the original material is so high quality, in his perspective, that means that no matter how you see it, it's going to look better than some DCP or some digitally shot movie. So I think, by implication, what he's trying to say is even if you watch my movie on your phone or something which you would never endorse, it's still going to look pretty good. So, you know, Dunkirk will get out there and be seen all kinds of different ways and you can I'm curious to
0: see how well it does. I mean, it's going, you know, maybe it'll open around 40 million, you know, but it, the this is it, Tom Brueggemann dug into some details about this, and apparently, even though war movies themselves are not usually really high-grossing movies, I mean, they do well, but they're not blockbusters, and he's not likely to do as well as he has done with some of his previous movies, they are often Oscar contenders. They are very, very high-performing Oscar contenders, like Saving Private Ryan that you mentioned before. And so I think this will... um, be an interesting case where a director who has never been nominated as director, he's been nominated as a writer and as a
1: uh, producer. This uh, time and time again.
0: And, he, he, you know, this is a thing, you know, he feels <laughs> badly about it. He will, he will, you know, get there this time and uh, all the different uh, categories will be uh, nominated and it will be a big, strong robust contender for, for best picture.
1: But, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting point because, I mean, you think about Nolan as not necessarily everyone's favorite filmmaker, right? There's some people who really admire him and some people who don't quite get the appeal, right? Because, like I said before, he's kind of seen as a cold filmmaker, as a methodical craftsman. You know, he's, he does not have the kind of sheen of a Spielberg, let's say, in the sense that, uh, you know, he's more about the technical accomplishments of his movie. I'm not saying that that's not going to, you know, that that, that w- could be set aside in this case, but it, I, I feel like there will be some people for whom Dunkirk is just a whole bunch of war scenes and not a lot of substance. I mean, story-wise, you know, like I said, you could explain the plot in 30 seconds or less. I mean, there there is something to that, right? That that's, some people just are, are going to find it to be a little on the underwhelming side because of that. I mean, I've talked to a few already. A few people who saw the movie and were just sort of like, you know, it was a very Christopher Nolan-y, some impressive sequences, but I didn't feel anything for the characters. You certainly don't learn a lot about them over the course of the movie. You see them react a lot. I mean, it's, it's a hard sell from a performance standpoint in that respect because a lot of what they're doing is sort of reacting quickly to things rather than having to do what people tend to associate with, you know, acting in a more traditional sense. So, you know, where, what do you hone in on here? I mean, is it, you think it's a front runner for Best Picture right now?
0: I do. We'll see. I think we will have to adjourn. We're
1: going on vacation.
0: We are, at the we're, same we'll take, time. We,
1: we got Dunkirk out of the way, and, and now we're, uh, we're heading away from the beaches for our own relaxation.
0: We'll talk about Detroit. When we get back, the uh, we'll talk about the new Steven Soderbergh movie. Uh, All kinds of good stuff. There's the stuff summer, to do. The summer rolls on. As it and... continues.
1: Exactly. Enjoy Thanks, your time Eric. off. Bye.
0: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.